welcome to Adaptivist Live, the Atlassian Ecosystem Podcast. I'd like to start this episode by saying we had a whole lot of exciting news, but, uh, well, we don't. You just got to get that excitement up. I, uh, just be excited. I, it's too late. I'm excited because I'm excited, as usual, to talk with Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burl about what's going on in the Atlassian Ecosystem. Hi, guys. What's happening? Not too much. As you noted. Everything. It's so exciting. <laughs> I'm too excited about this news. But really, Come on, guys. We've, we've brought varying levels of excitement to this week's update. <laughs> it's, you know, I think it's varying levels of caffeination is what it comes down to. Matthew, mm. and, story. That, Matthew and that fancy coffee rig. That's true. That's he's, true. It's helping a lot. He's amped up. Well, let's look to the cloud and get excited because there are some new features that have rolled out. If you're on the entire Jira platform, next generation projects are going to start suggesting to you um, additional users whose issues might be relevant. So it's like a social media-esque relevant to your interests. You're looking for hmm. assignees? How about these assignees? Um, and there's also a bug fix that's going to be rolling out where after you run a JQL search and do a bulk operation, you get the issues that you saw when you do the JQL search, which uh, might not have been happening before. So if you were having some uh, issues with bulk operations, uh, maybe that will be repaired for you soon. As far as on the service desk side of the house, um, you as a portal administrator will now be able to add some description text in your customer portal settings to give your customers a bit of a head start in filling out their tickets in a way which your team can understand, hopefully. Maybe. And uh, that's all that's new in the cloud this week. Over to you, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bringing all my excitement to advanced roadmaps for Jira 3.29 this week. Oh, hold it down, uh, man. Hold it real... down. <laughs> 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 I'm suddenly reminded of Letterkenny. I don't know if any of the rest of you watched that. The, the, Take it down, take it down a notch, Squirrely Dan. Take it, take it down about thirty percent there, Squirrely Dan. Yep, yep, yep right, you are thirty percent. Yeah. Uh, so, advanced roadmaps has added what might be a very cool feature called uh, all warnings. Actually, I don't know what they're calling it. I'm calling it uh, always the warning center. I think is is the the feature name. And they've got this screenshot of uh, the ability to configure the types of warnings you'll see in your plan, and you can enable or disable these on, on kind of a line-by-line -line uh, basis. Uh, so for instance, one warning might say might show um, target dates set beyond the due date. Uh, interestingly, due dates are one of the things that Portfolio used to ignore back in the halcyon days of algorithms and data-driven decision-making, but now you can arbitrarily set due dates in Portfolio. Sorry, not Portfolio anymore. Advanced <laughs> maps will use those. Um, but, but presenting a warning that says that you know, your when this is actually likely to be delivered is beyond the due date. That's very helpful. Um, if you've got an issue that you've set a dependency, uh, like a start to uh, finish type dependency, and um, the child issue ends after the parent issue, then yeah, show that warning. What we don't know is what this actually looks like um, because all we have is the toggles for the configuration. And when we follow the link, learn more about the Warning Center, it goes to the top level of the documentation. And when you search for Warning Center, it hasn't been published in the docs yet. So by the time you listen to this podcast, um, this feature was released today, uh, 16th of June. As always, Adaptivist Live is not live. We're yeah. recording in advance. But nope. 
Um, right now, I can't tell, tell you how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it works or what it looks like because you can't see anything in the docs yet. And it's, it's not quite there, but um, check out the warning center. My hope is that it, it works similarly to the Jira roadmap, or, or sorry, not roadmap, um, release hub. When you've integrated with Bitbucket and Bamboo and you can see those warnings uh, related to Jira issues, like that's super nice, been really helpful for me. Hopefully these warnings similarly are displayed in the interface in a way that, that gives you that real quick heads up. Uh, you know, along the lines of uh, visualizations as an early access program for uh, advanced roadmaps, this can be enabled by your Jira administrator and an early access feature that's come out, ability to visualize and plan dependencies. It's just making it a lot easier um, to manage dependencies and view them in advanced roadmaps. Uh, so if you want to check that out, admin can toggle that on, do an update. Um, there's also some improvements to um, issue search and some, some performance stability things. So uh, advanced roadmaps 329. Um, if you're listening to this on the, what will it be, the 19th of June or sometime thereafter, hopefully the documentation is, is uh, fleshed out and you can download and give it a try. My general excitement levels are increased by Matthew's use of the word halcyon earlier. Yeah, especially in related. <laughs> I, just, I sat there and sort of danced in my chair. Well done, Matthew. Thought I could be of service. <laughs> especially related to those days when we used to make decisions based on data. I forgot. Right? <laughs> <laughs> What's that like? Um, speaking of making decisions based on data, um, we have some data for you. Oh. I'll be here all week. Um, Confluence 7.5.1, a bug fix release that uh, has some, some little bug fixes in it. Uh, Jira issue macro not showing a value for the sum of the remaining estimate. Uh, Twitter feed widget not respecting the height parameter. Come on, get with it. <laughs> Always respect the height. Um, building 7.5.0 from source fails on a particular error. Um, those things are in 7.5.1. Before you upgrade, of course, backup Confluence home directory and database. And then there are some upgrade notes just for 7.5 in general. Um, there will be a link to this in the show notes. And then moving on to a beta, Confluence 7.6-beta1. Um, snapshot of work in progress is now available to download. Obviously, it's a not a production-ready release. Um, and there is no direct upgrade path, um, but there are some cool things in here. Um, for data center, you've got a little more control of your audit log. Um, you're able to filter by category, um, particularly useful if you're just looking for, say, security events or authentications. Um, more events available to capture end user activity. Um, you'll see events now as someone moves a page or blog post or shares it, uh, requests or grants access, uh, that sort of thing. Um, again, that's still data center and then changing your log file retention settings. Um, previously the number of log files was them to do hundred. Um, now you can store more or less as needed maximum file size, um, being hundred megabytes. So make sure you have enough disk space on each node for server and data center. Both, um, system admins can now set trusted domains or sites before rolling out the companion app, um, requires companion 1.2.0, um, don't need to upgrade Confluence for this improvement. Um, again, there are some upgrade notes. Um, they're, they're making some changes to caching architecture. Um, and I'll talk about that a little more in a second. Also changes to mobile login, going back to um, caching architecture in particular. 
Um, there is a link on the page at the bottom of the page of the 7.6 beta release notes that we'll put in our show notes here. Um, and it says, head to preparing for Confluence 7.6 to find out how these changes will impact app developers. Um, the big change that um, should be considered is that caching is now going to be evenly partitioned across all the nodes instead of being replicated on each node. Um, and also some caches are going to be switched to local caching with remote invalidation. The default cache configuration is still fully distributed, but if you change your cache configuration, just be aware that you should test some of your uh, plugins because that may change the way they operate. As mentioned before, um, audit log improvements um, available in this. Um, so some nice, nice looking things for 7.6, um, some cool stuff in the works as well. Um, Atlassian is still working on OAuth 2.0 for incoming mail and rebuilding the search index in a cluster. So stay tuned for more information on those cool new features. And for the Confluence Data Center admins, it's unlikely that this caching change will negatively impact your instances, but uh, I would definitely recommend um, at the least uh, doing a node health check. Um, I'm, I'm not a, a data center admin, but since I've been working a bit more on the app development side and we've been working with some data center customers, it's surprising how many times we've had a bug reported for our new app where we find out the issue is actually with their data center node configuration. Um, or a problem with cache replication across nodes. There's actually nothing wrong with the app, but because we um, cache some data across nodes, it has highlighted previously uh, undiscovered problems. So given that this is changing, how cache replication could potentially happen in Confluence, um, I think giving 7.6 a bit extra uh, time and attention as part of your um, upgrade testing probably makes a lot of sense. And make sure that you carry enough cash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Always be prepared. I, too, will be here all week. <laughs> We're not giving up our day jobs, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Do what you love, and you'll never work a day in your life. And one of the things that I love... Uh, is Bitbucket Pipelines. Do you, Do you love it? He actually really likes them. I, I'm a big fan of Bitbucket Pipelines. I was... Um, uh, I was uh, I, re- I remember in Barcelona one year uh, talking with uh, one of the Atlassian guys about pipelines right after it came in uh, came out, and it's it is super cool. But we won't go into all that. Uh, what we will go into are the gifts because Atlassian has delivered yet again. Um, so uh, conditional steps and improvements to logs and Bitbucket pipelines. Uh, key things here if you're using pipelines. Uh, for those of you who are less familiar with it, it is. I, I kind of describe it as the cloud version of bamboo on maybe not bamboo on steroids, like crack bamboo plus terraform. Like it's just, it's easy to use to build and deploy stuff. It's cool. Um, and what's cool about this is a really easy way to get into the logs uh, from your pipelines to look at warnings, to copy stuff paste it in and see where your tests are. Um, uh, really, really nice because these log files can easily be thousands and thousands of lines uh, for something small. And so being able to find some quickly and doing it through the web browser, performance looks really good. Um, I actually was confused at first because it looked like we were working in an IDE. So I thought it was dealing with like some integration with IntelliJ or something, but no, this is, this is right there in pipeline configuration. 
Um, so very, very cool on the, the log side. Conditional steps for those of you, you know, familiar with Jira workflows, you, you already kind of know what conditions are, or I don't know, just common sense of the word in this context. It's a thing that must happen first before the next thing happens. And being able to build that into your pipeline, um, almost like a, an if then, or, um, you know, this, this has to be satisfied. So uh, being able to put that in really nice, uh, good improvements, uh, June 11th rolling out to Bitbucket pipelines. And if you are a Bitbucket administrator that is looking to make your job and life just a little bit easier, um, then you may know that Adaptivist puts out a product called ScriptRunner for Bitbucket. And on the 24th of June, we will be hosting a webinar Q&A session with Robert Giddings and Reese Lander from the ScriptRunner for Bitbucket team, where they're going to take questions and do demonstrations live on how to automate and clean up your code with ScriptRunner for Bitbucket. So we'll include a link to register for that webinar, which, by the way, I'm hosting. So uh, that always adds a layer of quote, quote, fun An to the element of danger. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I'll be hosting that webinar. So come hang out with me and ask uh, questions of people who actually know what they're talking about in uh, Robert and Reese on the 24th. Let's head back for, let's head back to the cloud for a second with Adaptivist Head of Managed Service, Trevor James. Treff, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. Always a pleasure, Ryan. Great to see you, sir. So, Treff, the cloud, it's just somebody else's computer, right? Well, yes and no. Yes and no. Everything is somebody else's computer. <laughs> However, the cloud have uh, those other people's computers just happen to be very, very good uh, and configured in such a way that, that you can solve an awful lot of operational problems uh, without having the overhead of, of running your own computer. I, I think the the, the days of ha having somebody in your team woken up at three in the morning to, to travel to a data center to fix a hard drive are, are thankfully long since gone. <laughs> yeah, thankfully is the right term there, sir. Um, so, Tref, Atlassian Cloud is, they've got a few different levels of cloud service now, right? So, so they've got a few different levels, but it's it's sort of hard if you're looking at the 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 online materials and such to kind of pick out what they're doing. And I think that we've got a, a simpler, more straightforward solution in Adaptivist Enterprise Cloud. So can you tell us about maybe the fundamental differences between the two? Sure. So Adaptivist Enterprise Cloud was, was introduced because we saw a lot of bigger companies, enterprise customers, uh, who wanted to offload their administrative overheads. You know, they, they don't want to be running the servers day-to-day. -day. They don't perform administrative, uh, administrative tasks on them day-to-day. -day. And they really want to offload that. And as well as that with Atlassian, there's uh, licensing considerations too, uh, particularly when you're dealing with multiple vendors for adding uh, apps and plugins and Atlassian themselves. And it, it, it's a bit of a quagmire. Uh, so we introduced Adaptivist Enterprise Cloud to, to really ease that uh, for, for enterprise organizations. So uh, it, it's really a, a rolling up of several services that we already offer. So uh, Adaptivist Operate, which is typically more associated with keeping the servers running, keeping things performing and the lights on, 
combined with our administrative service offering Assist, which is about doing all the things on the front end that the user would see. So Jira workflows, permissions, or, or, uh, script screens script and fields, yeah. Yeah, all, all of that good stuff, all of that good stuff. And, and we've combined that uh, with uh, cloud technologies. Uh, we're AWS partners, so we, we use them quite extensively, but, but we're cloud agnostic. You know, we, we also like Azure, we also like GCP. Um, and really, it's a great way of harnessing all of that scalability, that reliability, whilst combining it with the behind-the-firewall software that enterprises like, right, right. Uh, I'll give you an example. So uh, having the smart mirroring capability of Bitbucket or the massive amount of apps that you have in the marketplace that will only work sometimes with the behind the firewall versions of uh, Atlassian products uh, and, and where you can get them in cloud might, might have significantly reduced functionality, for example. So what we're trying to do is give people the best of best of all worlds. So uh, Atlassian data center functionality with the convenience of, of running it out there in the cloud. And this can be scaled just like that, right? Just like that, just like that. I mean, the data center products are, are, are great, uh, right? They're, they're really, really great. So as your user base increases or as your use case changes, um, you can add nodes very, very quickly while still retaining all of that functionality that you get from, you know, data center with all the apps apps that are marketplace, apps that are available. Uh, and, you know, combining that at, at, at a very good price point with, with some world-leading SLAs. Uh, you know, we, you know we, we, we like to keep things up and running, keep people happy, and Adaptivist Enterprise Cloud is, is the next stage in that journey for us. So the Atlassian Cloud experience doesn't quite offer the same flexibility. Well, don't get me wrong. Atlassian Cloud is very, very good. Um, the, uh, the, the, the basic offering for Atlassian Cloud is, is superb for small shops. If, you're, if you want to go kick the wheels of the functionality, if you want to trial it in a, in a limited setting, Atlassian's basic cloud offering is, is, is fantastic. Uh, it, it's great value for money. It's there when you need it, and, and all you really need to set it up is a credit card. So there, there's definitely a place for it. I, I think Atlassian's Premier Cloud, uh, again, builds on that uh, and gives you additional storage capabilities. It gives you much better SLAs than, than the basic products as well. And um, going into the future, Atlassian's Enterprise Cloud, uh, I think as well, builds even further on that with functionality, uh, SLAs and, and data sovereignty. Um, so, yeah, I, I think there's definitely space in the ecosystem. I, I think where the behind-the-firewall versions uh, still have their place is really the, the amount of control that you have over how you use them and, and how you configure them. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an, another example. If you um, want to dedicate a JIRA node specifically to indexing on, on a very large index, well, well, that's something you can quite easily do. Uh, likewise, if you wanted to dedicate a node to reporting or a particular application like EasyBuy, BI, uh, you can do that too. Mm. So it gives you a lot of functionality and control. And, and because we work with global cloud partners, you, you can put your data wherever in the world you want it. You know, you, you're not governed by any specific region or, 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 or you know, you, you absolutely know where your data is. And when you combine that with uh, 
uh, our support team who, who's global. You, you know, we're, we're there when, whenever we're needed. And typically you'll be speaking to an engineer who, who will actually be fixing your problem or, or configuring your workflows or your custom fields or, or whatever that might be. So, you know, we, we can offer a much more tailored experience than, than Atlassian can with their cloud products. And uh, it's probably a good thing we didn't bring Matthew on this segment because Adaptivist Enterprise Cloud includes Adaptivist Learn as well, yeah? It certainly does. It certainly does. I must not forget that. I must not forget that. So, so again, you, you, you have a really, really good informational learning resource built right into your tool there and then. So uh, where, where it's a question you can answer, uh, you know, if it's something specific that you need to know, you've got a massive knowledge base there. Where it's something that's not covered in that, you've got the assist team on hand who can answer any questions outside of that too. So yeah, it, it, it's a really compelling offering and, and, and we're really excited uh, to be bringing it to the market. So Adaptive Enterprise Cloud is the Atlassian data center products hosted on worldwide servers and run for you by the incredibly gifted uh, Adaptivist team as well as the cutting-edge learning software Learn. Do I have it pretty much right? I couldn't put it better myself, Ryan. (laughs) Trevor James, thank you so much for joining us to talk about Adaptivist Enterprise Cloud today. It's an absolute pleasure, Ryan. Thank you for having me. So that interview, like everything we're doing these days, was done over Zoom. We're actually looking at each other on Zoom right now as we record this podcast because we find uh, that helps us get the energy up. Um, Maybe you're on Zoom listening to this podcast. Wait. Maybe. (laughs) But we're also, I think, like a lot of people struggling with what these days is being called Zoom fatigue. Uh, This, you know, being in meetings all the time, uh, looking at each other, looking at at Zoom, having to really focus on the screen. And last week, Adaptivist published a LinkedIn post about Zoom fatigue uh, with some pointers and tips. And we thought we would close out this podcast with each of us sort of our, our thoughts on Zoom fatigue and our top tip for avoiding it. Well, I'll go first then, because I actually wrote the LinkedIn post based on the, <laughs> uh, the, the internal blog. And what our executive assistant, Eliza, and uh, head of engineering, John Mort, came up with was that to av- avoid Zoom fatigue, they would stop looking at themselves during meetings. And so, they, so there's a feature in Zoom where you can just turn off self-view. Um, it's in the the little three-dot menu on your picture on Zoom, turn off self-view. And th- I have found that to be incredibly useful. I've stopped looking at myself, and I've started really engaging with the other faces. And um, that's been working out great for me. I, I end the, my days in much better mental state. Hmm. What about you, Brenda? So I am often in Zoom meetings for seven to eight hours a day. Um, it's just the way it works out. And <clears throat> there, there are, I guess, I guess the biggest thing I can say is for me, it's been an issue of ergonomics. Um, I was sitting with my laptop facing a wall and I was backlit by a window. So I bought a ring light to illuminate myself so that people could see me. And with that on, and, and, you know, right in my eyes, seven odd hours a day, I was getting really bad migraines. Um, so I reoriented the furniture in the room I work in, and now I am facing the window, not away from it. 
um, which that that is a thing that helps. So I would say think about the lighting and the light that is around your workspace and what is potentially right into your eyes um, and finding a comfortable headset. Um, I, I don't actually like wearing a headset, but I wear one all day now because my husband's working from home also. And um, anytime I can take the headset off, I do because it after a full day of Zoom meetings kind of adds to headaches. So try and find ways to um, handle the just the ergonomics of your workspace in terms of lighting and sound and everything. Yeah, those are fantastic suggestions. Um, for me, like my, my meeting schedule isn't as uh, long as Brenda's, but it's typically three to six hours a day. And uh, I'm just really dense. And it's that denseness that gets to me of, of a bunch of 30-minute meetings back to back to back. Um, trying to switch between the other thing, remember everything, make notes of the actions, take, you know, take them on later. Uh, so I've started, uh, we use, we use Google calendar here and I've started doing out of office blocks, uh, on my calendar, e- even if I'm not out of office, um, because, uh, it automatically declines any meeting request. And, uh, I have found if I just put a regular, like try to block out time and say, I'm doing some backlog grooming or, you know, I mean, even things I really need to do, people will still schedule stuff with me and expect me to be there and I'll get double, triple booked uh, sometimes. And so having that automatically decline any meetings, like you just can't do anything about it. And I'm, I'm getting tempted to start putting those in, in like 10 to 15 minute increments um, between meetings sometimes or like putting in some space there because just being able to step away to like get some sunshine or get a drink or do those other human things we very much need to do throughout the day. Like if we were in an office, you would walk out of a room and you would be able to go to a restroom. And instead we are chained to zoom for six hours straight and it's horrible. And so, um, yeah, I think, I think we've got to be like, we got to take care of ourselves. We've got to build that into our calendar and our schedule and that out of office feature is really helping me with that. And that's it for this edition of Adaptivist Live. Be sure to check the show notes for links to all the articles we discussed here and uh, maybe a few more I just throw in there for fun. Connect with us on social at Adaptivist if you have any comments or uh, best wishes for us. And for Matthew Stubblefield and Brenda Burrow, I'm Ryan Spilkin. We'll see you next time on Adaptivist Live. My pressure cooker's got a screen on it.